0: podcast with myself, Adam Spiel, and my ever-present coho, Javu Mithwa. Today we are looking into sports law in Africa, taking a deep dive with an experienced individual doing really exciting
1: things. Javu, who do we have for our audience today? We have a very esteemed guest today with vast experience within the commercial mediation sector, as well as sports law in Africa. She is also an expert when it comes to governance and regulatory advice. She works with sports clubs, tech companies, um, and a whole host of different stakeholders, not only in sport, but way beyond that. It's an honor and privilege to have a partner of the sports, entertainment, and technology practice at Olisa Agbakoba Legal, Mrs. Beverly Agbakoba Onyejiania. Beverly, it's such an honor and privilege to have you on the Africa Prince of Sport podcast. How are you doing? And a very warm welcome to you.
2: Oh, thanks so much, Edem and Jabu. Thank you very much for inviting me to hang out with you guys today and um, share my my thoughts and ideas and, um, you know, what, what I've been up to generally. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. So what's has happened pretty recently, or I've found out about you while doing our research, is that you are part of the advisory board for the Nigeria sports industry policy going forward. And this is very topical at the moment, also because we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with the CEO of Sport Nigeria and Keju Obi, and we're speaking about this groundbreaking policy. So could you just briefly, before we go into the episode and speak about you know your journey in sports law and sports governance in Africa, Could you give us a sense of how you got involved in the first place and just your thoughts on the Nigeria sports industry policy and how groundbreaking it is for Africa?
2: Well, it depends if you want the long version or the short version, but um, the short version is that um, my interest in youth football is actually what pushed me into sports law as as a career. Um, Five, even ten years ago, Sports lawyers were few and far between. And I was very comfortable and happy working in banking and capital markets. So my mind was far, far removed from sports law. But my foray into youth football, precisely, I I do work with um, other sports, including swimming. I've had some time with swimming, I've had some time with gymnastics also but um by and large i've spent most of my 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 time with young footballers the grassroots uh, teams clubs uh whether it's my club lagos tigers or leagues tournaments etc so that really pushed me into um kicking off a career no pun intended um in sports law, i got interested in welfare i got interested in um their rights, the human rights side of things. Um, I got interested in the commercials. <laughs> um, the, the commercial side of sports is very fascinating. It um, it covers so many facets, from merchandising to licensing to branding to endorsements to to um, employment labor issues. It covers a whole gamut of of different areas. So, and I felt that. Um, it was a very underserved industry, very underserved. When you when you think sports, you tend not to think about you know the professional side. You don't you don't think of it as a business. So that um, that that gave me a challenge um, to to set up the sports law practice where I work, Ulisag Baku Baligo, and it's been a fantastic unfolding journey ever since. Brought with, of course, frustrations because practicing sports law in Nigeria on the continent is probably not the same as practicing in other more established regions, say Spain, say the US, say the UK, China, etc. But it's still very exciting. Um, It feels like a privilege really to, to work in such a niche area where so much is happening, so much change is coming, and of course, sports is really the next frontier. Um, the talent we have, um, the gaps and the deficiencies are actually lines of opportunity. So, yeah, it that's kind of how I got involved in 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 sports law, and uh, my background as a compliance, a regulatory, and compliance professional and governance, then encouraged me to, to apply the same transferable skills into sports. So I'm sure you're fully aware that you have, um, something, a practice called sports governance, which is concerned with the way sports is governed, sports is controlled, sports is accessed. And, um, again, another major interest of mine, because I am very, very passionate about, um, accountability doing things properly upholding values which of course sports is renowned for so i uh, i found myself in sports policy development because of the the deficiencies in the industry which obviously leads us to the, the creation of the national sports policy so that was a really exciting opportunity um i was invited to be a part of and that was we i think we commenced the work in 2021 took in fact, I think I would say no. That was actually 2020, and uh, we worked on it tirelessly till 2021. I would say, and then it took uh, another year to get it approved, late 2022. So it's been a it's been a journey. It's been a journey. That's for sure. I
0: really like how you mentioned the word deficiency. When you spoke about sports, even the sports industry in Africa, and it's very true because. There's so many things that for a very long time have just been swept under the rug and just mm. gone on with, you know, business as usual. Talk to us through the, your experience so far with the development of quality, your experiences with the club that you've worked on, with your experiences with the different sports that you've worked on and how the role of sports law in African sports business currently is and where okay. it can be with the potential ahead.
2: Okay. So my role, I can, I can speak to my role, um, in the, in the drafting and preparation of the national sports policy 2020. So I was given to work streams. So I was in the, I was in the sports as a tool for peace building work stream, you know, because of the work I've done with, um, with youth, with youth sports. So We've obviously seen that sports is is a major tool that can be used for uh for um, harmonizing communities, for building communities, for for equipping the youth with so many different skills, not just the you know the physical sports skills, but also the um, the add-on, the supplementary skills. So the social skills, the team building skills. The, the problem solving skills, the critical thinking skills. So um, I got to work, um, you know, doing a lot of research on how sports has been used effectively in other parts of the world to rebuild communities. When you look at what was done in France, you know, France had this huge project with, um, with their youth and France has also been through a lot of tumultuous times and I know from say like the 70s the 80s trying to integrate um, you know the young black youth uh, the North Africans who I felt very marginalized and felt very disenfranchised and you know they embarked on this massive campaign of um, you know creating uh, the football academy football uh, grassroots programs I can't quite remember what it's called again in French but that program is what produced the likes of um I can't remember his name will come to me, but um there's a famous part of France. Uh it's a Bonlieu outside Paris called TRAP, T-R-A-P-P-E-S. And TRAP has produced a lot of top quality players. France did it successfully. You know, they took a lot of kids off the streets, a lot of kids that felt like they didn't they didn't belong. South Africa equally did the same. Um, you know' um, I'm, I'm not you're, you're, you you obviously know what I'm talking about being South African. So in Nigeria, we haven't truly leveraged and utilized sport as a tool to equip the youth, train them, um, give them additional skills, get them off the streets actively, right? So you know, I did a lot of research behind that. I was um, also in the um, work stream around uh, ADR, which is alternative dispute resolution, which primarily involves how can we ensure that people who are the stakeholders in sports have access to justice? You know, how can they properly access um, um, uh, um, um, justice via setting up a proper sports tribunal is a proper, court, if you want to call it that, a court for sports, as you find in Switzerland, as you find in Kenya, although in Kenya, it's called the tribunal, as you also find in Egypt and other jurisdictions where, you know, they've really gone ahead to create these proper institutions to protect the stakeholders in sports, because sports is not just about what happens on the field. It is also about what happens off the field. You see, sports is is uh, is an ecosystem, and there are so many actors and players, if if you want to say, and each each player has to each player contributes their own skills, and they bring forth their own um, contribution to the making sure that sports runs effectively as an industry. So, I'm here as a sports lawyer, and part of what I bring to the industry are my are my dispute resolution skills, which will support athletes who have, saying um, grievances with their federations or grievances with their national sports bodies or state sports bodies, right? So it's super important that um, all the multiple actors and stakeholders in the ecosystem feel protected from the investors all the way trickling down to school sports. Because the truth of the matter is um, you don't know where the the next best talent is coming from. You don't know where the next innovation in sport is coming from. So you have to protect all the players, right? From the people bringing the money into sport, making sure it's used transparently, fairly, you know? We know we've had so many problems with corruption in sport and I spoke about this at, an, at a conference just last week, which was uh, the International Conference on um, Corruption in Sport and Whistleblowing, you know? So there are real issues, real-life issues happening in sport, which if we don't continue, if we don't um, pay attention to, we will never, never get to the next level. What is the next level? The next level is where we're truly able to harness um um, the soft power of Africa, sport is that soft power. It's it's once you unlock it, you unlock um, a whole load of of talent. You unlock um, sports uh, researchers, um, sports data analysts. You unlock um, students who are playing very well at college level. You see why the US takes sports at college so seriously because. It is a proper funnel where sports stars and athletes, et cetera, can pass through. And all these different actors and players have rights that need to be upheld and protected. So the role of uh, sports lawyers, counsel, sports dispute resolution professionals cannot be underestimated at all. It can't. Um and which is why I tirelessly speak a lot on these issues, um, like on your podcast. So excited to be able to share my opinions and um just generally what I've been hammering for for the last I would say six years that I've been in this sports um sports law practice at the law firm. You know, it's it's really become a sort of lifelong passion for me to to really show show that sports is not just about sports. Sports is life. It's it's um it's what keeps us going. It's what entertains us. It's what pays some of our bills. <laughs> it's what it's what uh, keeps some of us on the straight and narrow. It rehabilitates. It does a whole lot. It does a whole lot. And I believe in Africa, we still haven't fully unlocked the full potential, the full soft power of what sports can do. So, you know, it's so great to be able to speak to, to these issues. But most importantly, dispute resolution in sports is really untapped, really untapped in Africa. I mean, currently, we only have how many African countries that can that can boast of a dedicated sports tribunal? Kenya, Republic of Kenya um, and Egypt, you know, those are the two African countries that have You know they have invested, properly invested in 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 these institutions that will uphold the rights of sports stakeholders. So you know we we there's a lot that needs to be done. The sports policy does speak to these issues. It does speak to the need for um a a separate court of arbit court of not just arbitration because I'm a mediator. So I would just say an ADR center for sports. You know, whereby anyone connected to sport, you don't even have to be an athlete. You could well be uh, a developer who constructs fiber sides. You could well be um, a, a sports trainer who trains and facilitates courses on sports business management and, and sports medicine. You name it. As long as you are providing a service in the sports industry you are you are you are adding value to the sports industry potentially you can have a dispute so these people need to be protected we haven't even begun to talk about you know doping the issues of doping in sports and i i'm sure you all you all saw what happened tragically last year at the commonwealth games with the nigerian team that was that was so disappointing and so upsetting to see um um. Um. How would I say these governance issues came to light? How come the the team didn't do their 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 checks? How come the administrators completely missed on uh missed something as vital as um you know proper proper spot checks you know for doping? How how do people test positive at at um at um a major tournament or anywhere for that matter? So. You know, the issues in sports are multiple, but I believe a targeted, concerted approach, um, including legal, regulatory, compliance, governance, is what can really turn around um, the situation we're facing today. You know, unlocking the potential in sports is what I, I tend to call it, harnessing that soft power.
1: That was very powerful and it was fascinating and such a pleasure just listening to all these takes you have on the development of sports law, sports governance especially. I am a law student at the moment and I have a particular interest in sports law so many of mm-hmm. the issues that you were speaking about really um, you know strike a chord with me. One of them is around you know proper structures um, for national mm-hmm. alternative dispute resolutions because Right now you have a case where to truly trade to the end of a legal process, say for an athlete or a club in Africa, you have to go to the court of arbitration of sports, which is all the way in Switzerland. What is logistics around having to apply Swiss law to a case that is taking place or took place in Africa? What are the challenges and obstacles that are stopping our sports federations or governments across Africa from really establishing Alternative Dispute Resolution or Tribunal Structures for Sport in Africa?
2: Okay, so I'll take, this was a loaded statement slash question. So yeah. I'll start off with what you said about um, the challenges logistically for stakeholders in Africa to take their cases, their complaints, all the way to Switzerland. You can you can see that it, it doesn't favor us. But not to say that it's it's specifically anti-discriminatory to Africans, because remember, the Court of Arbitration for Sport is the apex body for sports uh, uh, complaints and uh, and cases globally. So it applies to all countries. However, notwithstanding, many countries are beginning to see the value and the sense in setting up local arbitral sports institutions for instance australia quite exciting set up their body not too long ago definitely within the last 5 years shocking right because you would you we always have this assumption that you know whatever goes on in the you know that the western world is always more advanced and they've been doing things for years not actually true you know um, the uk have sport resolutions which has been been going for quite some time um ireland also recently set up canada also recently set up so we're seeing that proliferation of sports arbitral centers finally in the last 10 years at least we're we're beginning to see them pop up in various um jurisdictions so it tells you that no one really had it right no no country internationally truly had it right um it's it's been like a general awakening for many countries, including Western countries, that it's time we began to face some of these problems squarely at home, domestically. And then, if if and only if the the the, the matter is so tricky, or there was such a um, there was such a an issue that the parties involved didn't didn't um, didn't were not happy or satisfied with the decision of the domestic arbitral institution that they can now proceed to the apex body, which is the CAS. So whilst the CAS is a global body, which all countries have uh, clearly accepted to assent to, um, it is still the prerogative of countries all over the world to set up their own domestic institutions. I mean, FIFA, for instance. Just take it as an example. Even though they have a football tribunal, they have empowered member associations. And when I say member, I'm referring to nation states. They have empowered member member nations to create their own um, dispute resolution chambers. But how many of those? How many of these member nations have taken? The initiative. So a lot of this is to do with having the will, the will, the political will. Because the truth of the matter is, setting up an arbitral institution for sports does require a government buy-in. You can't just set up uh, an arbitral sports institution uh, uh, without having the buy-in of your of your stakeholders. You can't. So it has to be a private sort of private public sector. Um, initiative whereby, when I say private, I'm referring to people like myself who are those you know equipped with the ADR skills to work in those arbitral institutions. They they are not going to employ civil servants to work in the in the institution. So you know it really needs to be a joint, uh, a collaborative effort. So look at Kenya, they 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 they. they um, created a legislative instrument. Um, I think it's the Sports Act, which gave assent to the sports tribunal. So the truth of the matter is um, countries have a lot of work to do. It's not difficult, but it does require that intention. So the the, the ball, no pun intended again, is in the court or in the on the field. Of those member states, nations, countries that want to take, that want to have a more um, uh, fair and structured approach that will be more inclusive. Because the truth is, if we don't guarantee access and inclusivity for our stakeholders, if the only option is to keep going to um, the Court of Arbitration for sports because you're not happy with the way your federation has handled the matter, Obviously, you don't want your matter to get stuck in your national courts. And mind you, sports matters truly don't have any business in national courts because the judges are just not equipped with the knowledge base to deal with some of these issues. So again, it behoves on member states, nations to work hand in hand with the with with the, the the private stakeholders to set up these arbitral institutions, and which is what the national sports policy of Nigeria has done, it it brought together the Ministry of Youth and Sports, and I think up to eight hundred stakeholders, cutting across private sector, public sector, to come together to say what are the various areas in the sport industry that that needs uh, to be worked on. Where are the gaps? What is the vision? Where do we need to be in the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? So definitely when it comes to the matter of access to justice for stakeholders in sports, it begins by member nation states recognizing that they have the power and have already been empowered to to set up these arbitral institutions with the support of their legislative um, chambers whether it's a senate whether it's their parliament you know you use the law you use the law as an instrument to empower your um your stakeholders do you see what i mean so when you have that 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 law in existence it then empowers the stakeholders to act so so really that is what is kind of missing i would say in, in a couple of countries I mean, I can tell you now, Nigeria is the only country in Africa that has a national sports policy. I can I can stand confidently and say that. But it's not just about having it. It's not a, it's not it's not a decoration to put on a wall and look at it and say, oh, lovely. No, now that we have this policy document, we now are empowered. Us private sector to 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 do different things from training to um to developing um for instance uh, proper youth sports youth sports guidelines i can tell you that we do not have a national youth sports gu- guideline or framework for any sport whether it's football tennis gymnastics basketball we don't have and we ought to so once we have been empowered with the policy document, it now is left to us <laughs> to to do the needful and um, begin to, to 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 put more in place. You know what they say: the the reward for work is more work. So the work doesn't stop; it doesn't end yeah. here. It requires us all to to actually keep putting more, putting in more work, putting in place more structures. You know, frameworks are dynamic. You don't just put a, a framework in place and say, okay, bye, done. I've done what I need to do. No, frameworks are dynamic. You know, things are, are evolving. Uh, the issues around sports are evolving. You've got sports washing now as another new issue. We don't have the benefit or the luxury of, of that issue of sports washing yet. I do believe the time is coming when we will see literally a flood of, of investment into sports in Africa. The time is coming. Trust me, it's not far. It's coming. That will bring up a whole host of new issues, right? From conflicts of interest to um, accessibility to inclusivity. Are We have the right people playing and participating in sports. So you will still need the role of governance, sports lawyers, to keep things in check, to make sure that, you know, sports remains for all it remains accessible to everybody there's no discrimination funds are being used in the right way you know funds is a ma- is a major issue when it, when it comes to federations the, the whole issue of um either misappropriation or or lack of accountability lack of transparency so trust me i have there's a lot of work for professionals to do in sport and not just lawyers oh my goodness auditors you know lawyers we are not we are not the panacea <laughs> to solving the problems of sports. We work with other people. We sports lawyers, we work with the auditors, we work with policymakers. I am lucky enough to be a policymaker and a sports lawyer at the same time. So maybe sometimes I I end up just doing a lot. I, I, I'm able to do quite a bit on my own or within my team. But the truth is to really develop our sports industry, and I say our Meaning, Africa. I'm speaking as an, as a Pan African. We need to 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 work together. You can't bring you can't uh, an industry cannot grow um, in isolation. So the sports industry has to recognize that there are many multiple actors, players, stakeholders, and we all have to work together, from the data analysts to the consultants to the policymakers to the lawyers to the educationists. To the financial, to the to the accountants, we all need to work together right now in Nigeria. Really, really good leaders. I can name so many, um, including obi obviously, who led the um, development of the national sports policy. But we have so many other leaders who are doing their bit to help grow this industry. So it'll it'll be amazing. The next step I want to see is under the after. Uh, the after after is the uh, African Free Trade Zone Act. I really want to see how Africa can truly integrate, uh, or have some Africa-wide policies that can help boost the investments into African sports. I would even love to see more, more mobility across Africa with regards to athletes, um, uh, investments. You know, we all are used to seeing. Uh, international sports brands, it would be wonderful to see African-based, African homegrown brands grow across the continent with the benefits of the after the Africa Free Trade Zone Act. So there's there's a lot, there's a lot I think we can leverage on from laws to policies to harm, uh, work collaboration, smart collaboration, mind you, collaboration must always be smart. So there's a lot we can do. There's a lot of Practical boxes we can tick off to help grow this industry. Right now,
0: one issue that is really um, personal to Jabo and I, because we are huge fans of women's sports, the issue that is happening with the female team and the NFF concerning their boycotting of the opening game of the World Cup, because their bonuses related to their play is are not going to be allocated to them just mm-hmm. because they're getting bonuses from FIFA. I mean, to me, that is mad. That doesn't sound right. Anything mm-hmm. that is accorded to an individual by achieving the event, that individual deserves to have it. And, you know, it doesn't speak well of the mm-hmm. African continent, especially a couple of weeks before the event. What is your take on it and how we can move on? a scenario like this for the next World Cup where there are no issues coming around with the African
2: women. Honestly, the the short, sharp answer to this is leadership, is leadership. I can spend a long time telling you, oh, if we did this, the number one answer to solving problems in any country, economy, institution, uh, system is leadership. When you have bad leadership, this is what happens. Simple and short is leadership. Fix the leadership, fix the leadership, and the trickle-down effect will take place. Leadership is key. Leadership is key, you know. Um, obviously, we have laws. We have laws. We even have labor laws that, that, that protect athletes. Trust me, athletes are not uh, uh, outside the protection of of the law, but it's for some reason in Nigeria, they, it's a, it's almost as if athletes are outside the protection. But they are, they are very well. They are they fall under the the ambit of the law. So if if clearly people are not paying attention to labor laws, then you need to say okay. If people are not paying attention to labor laws, and the problem is with the leaders themselves, the problem remains with um, those at the helm that are responsible. You see, one thing I always say is this, when there's difficulty in an organization, when there's difficulty in steering a ship, when when problems abound, communication is key. If those ladies had received some form of communication regarding why those bonuses are not being paid, why there's a delay, you would be less likely to see the outbursts that we are witnessing. You see, communication is a number one skill in managing people. It's the number one skill. And I keep saying this, athletes are people, athletes are professionals, and they deserve proper communication. So for me, it all boils down to poor leadership. And if we want to see change in the near future, then there needs to be total overhaul of the leadership. That's That's my opinion. Them. because you know, we talk a lot in Africa. We talk a lot, we talk too much. There's too much talking and too little action. So I'm not going to bore the people listening to this podcast with too much talking either. The answer is leadership. Fix the leadership. Get people who understand how to administer sports. Sports administrators per excellence who know how to 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 run teams. There's a there's a you need a specific skill to run sports teams. When, when these problems are fixed, identified, then we can really begin to see some changes. Until then, it's just going to be old problems uh, repeating themselves over and over and over again. You need, you need new ways to fix old solutions, right? If old problems keep cropping up over and over again, it simply means that there's no novel solution being applied. You need New, pro- new ways to solve old problems, and that includes governance. So that's kind of my take on it. I mean, I, I don't know the background of, this, of, the, of the reason why the bonuses were delayed. Of course, I haven't seen the contract. So all I'm, I'm, I'm just speaking without uh, much uh, background knowledge, right? But one thing I can say, you know, authoritatively is there's clearly a communication gap that's it. If one person is angry about something and is expecting something, then the, uh, the other party either, you know, didn't communicate or there was a misunderstanding. So how can you avoid the misunderstanding escalating to the point where they refuse to play an opening game? That's terrible. It's, it's, it's terrible. And you see why you need that alternative dispute resolution. You need people to be able to mediate and say, okay, we, we've heard both sides. How can we compromise? How can we meet in the middle to solve this problem, right? There's an immediate problem, which is potentially they might not make the opening game, which will be disastrous. How can we solve the problem in the short term without forgetting to solve the long-term problem? So you see, it's a twofold thing. There's the immediate, we need to sort this out issue that's happening right now. And there's the long-term, you know, deeply embedded issues that have led to this impasse. So it's communication by and large. And then once you communicate, once both sides begin to communicate, then you can begin to get to the bottom of what the issues are. But again, leadership is key. Good leadership. Good governance, good sports administration. These are the ingredients to running good teams, but don't, but don't get me wrong. These things don't only happen in Africa. They don't only happen in Nigeria. It also happened in Canada. The same thing happened in Canada. I can't, I think it was the women's football team or the hockey team. One of them, one of the two, but the same thing. They said flat out, they're not going to play because they were not happy about pay uh, uh, compensation. So i feel like this is particularly also a women's sports issue right we are seeing a lot of pushback globally not just in nigeria but we're seeing a lot of pushback globally from women's teams enough is enough i think it's almost like a me too movement women's teams have had enough they've had enough of being exploited they've had enough of 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 being made to feel second best to the men's teams notwithstanding that they perform just as good, if not better than many of the men's teams. We've seen Australia lead the way in terms of guaranteeing um, 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 harmonization of salaries for men and women. I think there's another jurisdiction that I can't quite remember now. I think America, the the, the American um, Olympic, sorry, the American um, women's... Um, 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 FIFA team, the FIFA women's team, the last one, the ones that won. Um, I think it was America that won the last one. And you know, Megan Rapinoe. Yeah, the 2019. The yeah, 2019. 2019. Yeah. And, and Megan Rapinoe was very, very outspoken about, we want equal pay because we, we, we are doing a damn good job. So all over the world, there is a pushback from women's teams. Enough is enough. What is the justification? Yes, I know there have been some arguments about, well, it's all about what you invest. It's all about what comes out of that investment. So men's games are watched 10 times more than women's games. That's an argument being pushed. But guess what? There's also a saying that says what you focus on flourishes. And if you and if women's games or women's sports has always been seen as a kind of... Um, how would you say, as a kind of second... Charity, charity initiative. Yes, like a charity mission. We're just taking a box to uh, fulfill all righteousness. We're just doing our bid for CSR. Then, naturally, you are not going to get the returns that you expect. You have to put your money where your mouth is when it comes to sports. Training an athlete, whether boy or girl, whether man or woman, should be the same you put in the same effort you put in you put across across board to reap the 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 the, the outputs that you're looking for you you don't say oh i'm going to do half for the women because i'm not expecting so you've already you've already capped them you've already um capped their performance in your mind or in the corporation's mind well, they're not going to give us any returns, so we're only going to put pittance in. And then they turn around and use the same argument to say, well, it's because they're not giving us returns, but you didn't put the same amount in. So it's almost like a chicken and an egg, right? You, w- Which one comes first? So I say that um, I'm happy that the tide is changing. I'm happy that um, more is going into the girls' games, more is going into women's sports. And I truly believe that... Um, it's only a matter of time where it's going to just keep growing. I mean, look at the Euro, the the women's um, Euros. It was the most watched Euros for women ever, right? So we keep smashing and um, creating new, new records. We keep, you know, smashing new barriers for women's games. So I believe that in turn, if women are returning and paying back and, and and giving the best that they can and giving as good as the men then i do believe that bodies corporations sponsors endorsers should do the same and also back women more but they should not use that as an excuse not the not the 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 third parties i'm now going back to the teams the teams the owners of these women's teams they should not. They should do rights by these women and not deny them their rights, not exploit them, not 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 downplay their efforts. Here we yeah. have it, ladies and gentlemen. This is Madam Beverly Agbakoba
0: Onyejanya who has done an exceptional job discussing sports course, sports policy, sports law in Africa. We have truly Grateful for you gracing the podcast, and oh, my I hope pleasure to have you on a
2: different time. And you know, you just keep talking more. Well, that would be great. That's what I love to do. But talk must back action. Action must yeah. back talk. Very important. We don't want to be we don't want to be known as people who just talk and do nothing. But I'm super excited. I hope many people take away something, even if it's one thing. What action can you take away from this podcast today? What commitment can anyone listening to this podcast make today to support the women's game, to do better at sports governance, uh, to just, you know, (laughs) I don't want to start a whole new conversation, but I think let's all commit to taking something important away from this conversation. And trust me, the ripple effect will be massive. To our audience, thank you for giving us your
0: time. We are extremely grateful and we'll definitely get back to you next year. Mark. Uh-huh.